With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. OneFootDown.com and the OFT Podcast proudly bring to you The Beat on Notre Dame's Beat with Philip Goff. Let's go! So next up, we have a very special guest in Mike Golick Jr., half of the Gojo Podcast with former Notre Dame football player Brandon Newman as part of the DraftKings Network. How is it going, Mike? Uh, it's going pretty well. Going pretty well, Pro Phil. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, of course. And before we dive in, uh, where can people find you and your podcast online and on Twitter? Yeah, uh, at Gojo Show on Twitter and Instagram, uh, we're still working up the uh, the energy and the momentum to get the TikTok going because as a couple of 32-year-olds, that's the one that's still most foreign to us. I'm a consumer. I'm not as much of a producer on that yet, but we'll get there. So all those are the socials. And then, uh, you know, Gojo the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, we have done our damnedest to get everywhere that uh, people are listening to those. But it's been... Uh, Really fun so far. We do episodes five days a week. We've been taking, depending on when this comes out, we've been taking summer Fridays during the month of July. But rest assured, once everyone reports for training camps, we're back there five days a week, busting ass, ready to go. So you're telling me you're not in the mirror doing TikTok dances daily? Man, I, I tell you, that's the one I, and I know like, as you go along in sports media, I see a lot of my friends and colleagues who do the selfie videos where they're delivering takes down the line. Stephen A is always up there after the Cowboys do something. And I don't know what it is. I think it's because when I look at myself on the phone camera, I realize my face is really like not symmetrical. 
and I may have broken my nose a couple of times without knowing it. And so just seeing that kind of throws me off. And so I do it a lot less. So maybe one day I'll get over it when maybe I'll get a nose job. But for right now, you know, I haven't been in Los Angeles long enough for that to seep into my desires yet. Yeah, I was about to say pretty soon, all you need just a little bit of Botox and that Southern California glow and you'll be there in no time. Uh, the bald head kind of like removes the ring. Uh, for some reason, it's made my head very like smooth up here still. So and I think in exchange for sacrificing my hair to the genetics gods, I have exchanged that for a wrinkle-free forehead, considering my forehead basically goes from the top of my eyebrows to the back of my skull. Yeah, I was about to say, I can almost see my, uh, see my reflection directly in that shiny thing. And man, I tell you what, and, and try sitting next to your now almost 60-year-old father doing a morning radio show who's got a hairline so strong he'll be dead 10 years and that thing you could exhume and pull out would still be right in the same spot. I mean, he's got a head of lettuce that most people would kill for. Like you walk into the barber shop and you say, I'll have the Mike Golick Sr. So I've had that comparison my entire life, but especially in my adult and professional life that has made this uh, something I just have to lean into and embrace at this point. Well, I mean, I've seen I've seen pictures of you from college. You absolutely had locks for days there. So you, you had it going for a little bit and you took advantage of it while you could. So at least you got that going for you. Yeah, you know what? It was uh it was fun to be able to ponytail the hair for a little while, <laughs> um, getting to wear rock the headbands during training camp, but all good things must come to an end. And I think they say it's your mom's dad that you usually get the hair gene from. So uh, shout out to my, uh, late grandfather, uh, Ken Hansen for the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to hold it against you, but before we dive into the football stuff, I want to start with something a little bit more controversial. Um, and so it's actually something that we have in common. So you don't know this, but I am a huge fan of the bachelor franchise. And so Ooh. I know you're a, a big bachelor fan. So, you know, with that in mind, um, I'm curious what you think is more controversial when it comes to expansion either the current expansion of the two bachelorette format or the impending expansion of the college football playoff. Ooh, man, it's close, but I'd say this, like so much of the argument about the current expansion of the world of college football centers around what the fan experience is going to be like. And I think there are ways that expansion or really, I mean, realignment, reorganization, consolidation might even be the more appropriate word for what's going on in college football could hurt certain pockets of the fan base. I think the two bachelorette system has only helped. And like a lot of things with the product, you're only going to be as good as the team that you have on the field here. That's so true in football and even more true with this. And Gabby and Rachel could not be more dynamic as bachelorettes. If you were going to pick a season to have two, you got not only two women that are very different personalities, very different looks and what they're looking for, but just incredible ambassadors for the brand and have handled themselves masterfully in this situation so far. So I think the format is kind of getting bailed out because of how good they are. But so far, it's been fascinating to watch. I could not agree more. And especially I was nervous with how Caitlin Bristow season went because that was obviously a little more testy and the two girls weren't as you know, close knit. And so it has been interesting to see the kind of camaraderie that they have together in terms of bouncing ideas off each other, because they're not getting that from, you know, the host, they're getting it from each other. Well, and, and I think it's, it, you know, not to like, you know, everything is sports. <laughs> That's, you know, Charlotte Wilder's beat, but um, it, it really is one of those things. I was taught, I was texting uh, Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst and noted bachelor franchise fan, about this the other day, it has to be very calming to be going through this with someone else 
because it's a weird experience. And I know they bring back the former contestants all the time and people from their season to kind of make them feel a little bit more at home, but to have someone there every day that you can kind of, you know, commiserate with stuff about, like you said, bounce ideas off of, I never really had a full appreciation for now of how freeing that must be to be going through everything for the first time, you know, going through for me, I've never done a podcast before like this. So getting to do it with Brandon, who was my teammate at Notre Dame and who I've known forever, maybe similar to Gabby and Rachel. So maybe me and Brandon are just Gabby and Rachel for a daily sports podcast audience. Yeah. And you know, Charlotte is right. Everything is sports there. And um, I know earlier on when uh, a few months ago, your name was being thrown around in the ring for potentially getting in the, in the booth to call Notre Dame football. But I'm curious if you would be interested at some point in taking the reins over being the host for The Bachelorette. They have a former football player in there now. Would you ever throw your hat in that ring? Oh, God. See, I absolutely would. I don't know if I necessarily fit the Bachelor aesthetic. Like, Jesse Palmer is, one, doing an excellent job. Like, stepping in for Chris Harrison, who had done that for, you know, decades is no small task. And Jesse has done it almost seamlessly. He was phenomenal last year. He's been great for it. I understand like Jesse's also one of the best looking dudes that works in any industry. So it fits very well. I have, I have shot my shot lower. And while I'm no longer in like the Disney ABC family of networks, I feel like I can still be of service because the one thing I want to do, I want to be the play-by-play guy on the sports dates. They do one every season and they usually bring back Wells. I forget whose season he was a contestant on, but they always bring back Wells. He's the bartender in paradise. And they have him do the play-by-play for that. And he does a fine job. Yeah. I could do a better job. And I am someone that has lived in both the bachelor and these sports universes. And so I feel like I can upgrade your booth on there. You can have me do play-by-play and Wells do color commentary. If that's how you want the dynamic. And I think I can be that mainstay for them going forward to Jesse Palmer, who's doing a great job steering the ship. Great. So I know, I know the uh, producers of the bachelor are definitely listening to this. So I'm going to clip this up. If they aren't listening, we can get that going because I am all for that. Yeah, I continue to spam them on Twitter. I will continue <laughs> to encourage other people to do that. Bullying on the internet sometimes when it comes to corporations and television shows, not individual human beings. Don't be a dick and tweet at people's spouses. Don't tweet at recruits. But if you want to tweet at franchises that have a handle like that on TV, I openly endorse that. Got it. So One Foot Down Nation, let's make that happen because I personally want to see Michael Jr. doing play-by-play of the Bachelor Sports State. Um So moving on from the Bachelor franchise, um, you know, what I like to understand with people, especially who are in the media, is if there was a certain point growing up where sports really started to take over a large portion of their brain. Yeah, um, I would say for me, when sports probably, I mean, honestly, it was Notre Dame football that did it. I always joke with people. I was, you know, I grew up an Eagles fan a little bit because my dad played for Philadelphia for the majority of his NFL career. And when I was growing up, they were also, you know, it was a bit of a bandwagon thing. You know, it was Donovan McNabb and Andy Reid going to the NFC championship for four straight seasons. I, I jumped on at a pretty good time, but the bulk of my fan experience has been through Notre Dame football. And from the time I was in third grade on, I was going to two games a year. There's pictures of me out in the tailgate lot with my you know chest painted and the shirt on every year. And so I, I think for me, it was, a combination of that just growing up around Notre Dame and the place really being an obsession. But honestly, uh, ironically enough, I think the college football aspect of it, because that was the sport that seeped in the most for me in the earliest, 
I always point back to those early 2000s USC teams. Like Notre Dame was always playing them. And at that time, man, that was a tough out. But like seeing those guys, the cavalcade of Heisman winning quarterbacks they had go through there, Reggie Bush, who is the best college football player I have seen with my own two eyes. Like I can't speak to, I understand, you know, you've got plenty of guys, the Barry Sanders, the world, Dion, all these guys that existed from a generation before that, that would certainly have a viable claim to it. But in my lifetime, Reggie Bush is the best football player I've ever seen. And I think of those teams alongside Notre Dame as part of the time where, all right, man, this is really starting to seep into my brain as, you know, an elementary school, middle school kid, just what an insane stage this is, what an insane setting college football is to watch things play out in. And that was, I think, when it started to really take hold for me. Yeah, as, a, as someone who went to the 2005 USC game as a, as a middle schooler, I absolutely felt that. And again, I've never seen as an electric player in person as, as Reggie Bush. And it's just, I even remember thinking, you know, what's the first like high school highlight tape that I remember watching as a kid growing up and being like blown away and being like, how is this person playing the same sport that I'm going to be playing in a few years? Because this is a different world. It's the high, the high school highlight tape, because I, I feel like there are, so many of them now and they're more well done. And I think just in general, that world is a little bit more concrete. We've, we've sussed it out a lot more with the recruiting process now where it's a bit more of a science back then you were really just trying to get grabbed. Like God, going back, we used to go back and watch Mike Vick's high school highlight, Allen Iverson's high school highlight reels. Like those were locker room folklore where you would just sit around on some days and guys would pass their phones around and we'd all just be sitting there marveling at this stuff. So I, I do wonder if like for the generation now, if those hit the same as they used to, because that Reggie Bush's high school highlight, like all of those were the stuff that started to get like myth built up around people was, oh, you got to check so-and-so's high school highlight tape. And that's how you knew they were a badass. Yeah. And I think of like when I had, um, I remember looking at like, I remember like Sam McGuffey as well as, um, like Noel Devine, and those were just some ones that were absolutely insane. I so I played, I played in the I played in the Army All American game, with me and everyone was so high on you know him doing the front flip thing, and so they kind of gamed it in one of the uh, in one of the drills that they had going on there. But they had Sam come in. It was like the one of those drills where you're one on one with the linebacker in the yeah. hole, and he did a front flip over the guy in the middle of the drill, and everyone oohs and ahs, and they got the you know, send out pictures of it and all that stuff because we didn't have Twitter, Lord knows, back then to send it out, which I just did the old person thing and aged myself. But yeah, saw Sam McGuffey do a front flip there. Pretty incredible stuff. And, you know, obviously I think it was Michigan and then Rice for him. Like Sam was a Sam was a hell of a ball player. And current or current or former USA Olympian bobsledder too. Fun fact. Yeah, that's right. Hell yeah. Um, so and then again, kind of moving moving towards your time at Notre Dame, it really probably didn't seem like you had not, not to say much of an option, but as soon as that opportunity presented itself to you, it seems like that was going to be an absolute no brainer for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it, it, it was, um, you know, I, I grew up early on in the recruiting process, me and my brother, who's a year younger than me, who ended up being a tight end at Notre Dame. Uh, my dad sat us both down and was like, hey, listen, like this is a process you have to go through earnestly. There's no guarantees that you're going to get an offer from Notre Dame. Like there's no, you know, 
And he's like, you also don't have to go to Notre Dame. Like our family being tied to there doesn't mean that has to be a place that, you know, you call home, you need to find the place that works best for you. And so we did the thing where we went on other visits, but in the back of my mind, the brainwashing had already been effectively done. And so by the time that offer came, like I, I, my first offer was from UConn. I, I grew up in central Connecticut and played my high school football there. You know, Randy Etzel was at his first stint there at the time. So they had the program rolling and, you know, Connecticut's got like nine kids in a given year that are going to play D one football. So you have to offer all of them. Yeah. And so that was the first one that came in. And then I had all of my junior day visits lined up for January or uh, January after my, uh, my junior year. And that was when Notre Dame called with the offer. And so that came and then it was, all right, well, we've canceled all these trips now. Like we're good. We, we've got the golden ticket and I don't need to go on any further. So yeah, it was, it was the only place I ever wanted to play football. Even now, you know, when you finish up playing, people always ask you like a couple of career paths after, and they're always like, Oh, would you ever get into coaching? Especially for me, who was more of a, you know, technique effort, you know, knowledge guy over an ability guy. And I was like, one, no, because I've seen the lifestyle and I kind of knew the media path and had watched dad go through that offered a lot more balance. But I was also like, I don't know if I would approach it with the same enthusiasm at a place that wasn't Notre Dame. And I've seen now a bunch of my former teammates get the chance to go back and coach at Notre Dame. And it's why I always maintain when coaches leave a job to go back and coach their alma mater, I can never begrudge it. Notre Dame baseball just went through this um, this last season with their coach heading down to Florida State, where he's from, where he went to school. And I'm like, I, I get that because it's a different draw and a different relationship than you can offer everywhere else. And for me, I was born into that relationship, and it always felt like that was the place that I was, you know, was destined to be. Yeah, and I imagine it's probably almost a similar mindset as you being a fan and then playing for that team. I feel like that probably had a pretty good chunk on your effort, mentality, desire to play. But taking a little bit of a different approach in this is I'm curious, you know, your brother played his sixth year at Cincinnati. And so he had obviously played at Notre Dame. Did you ever talk to him about what it was like playing for not Notre Dame and if it had a different impact on his approach or anything like that? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, we've never like talked about it specifically, obviously at the time, especially, and even after we were talking about just, you know, the differences in the area you were going to school, you know, being in Clifton and, you know, in Cincinnati versus being in South Bend, you know, the, the makeup of the team, you know, based on, you know, who you can recruit academically to get into Notre Dame versus who was going to go to Cincinnati. And none of it was ever a better or worse, but it was definitely a different environment just as far as 
you know, the guys you were going to work with every day, the resources that the program had. I mean, I you know, got to go back to Cincinnati this last year to call a game. And for the most part, the facilities are very similar to what they were back then when my brother was there. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's just kind of understanding all that stuff. Jake had a great experience there and got to play a bunch of ball and, you know, got a, you know, had some guys that he's still close with from that team. And so you always learn going to different places, and that's calling games now. That's meeting guys that we played against when I was in college. After the fact, you're always a lot more similar than you are different. But I think some of those surrounding touches, especially, you know, being in a place where the campus for Notre Dame is really like its own separate holy bubble. Mm-hmm. And then going to another place where Cincinnati, the cool part there was, you know, you can walk right in to Nipper at any time. That stadium is always open to you. And so getting to kind of explore those different flavors and even just wear different colors for a little bit like we went and saw the Cincinnati games and I got to buy black and red I never got to wear black and red for any yeah. reason so it was uh it was fun for everyone to kind of get to change that up and to just get a different experience and that has ended up being one of the things that's been appealing to me about calling games is getting these different experiences on campuses that I never got to attend that I didn't get to play for didn't get to play at when I was in school And that was kind of what we got through that experience with Jake was just seeing how another place does business with all these things that we'd experienced. No, that that, that's super interesting. And that that kind of brings up to the point of obviously you're, you know, you're going to be back in the booth this year. Can you maybe tell, at least just give the people kind of give your pitch about what you're going to be doing in the, uh, in the booth this fall? Yeah. So uh, doing uh, actually a slate of games that my dad was a part of last year, him and Kate Scott, who's now the play-by-play voice for the Philadelphia 76ers. We're on uh, Learfield's College Football Saturday night booth. Uh, so I will be there again this season. I will be alongside Sloan Martin, who's going to be the play-by-play. I've heard her name calling uh, the Minnesota Lynx games, Big Ten Network, plenty of action over there for her. And so we're going to be on the road at some of the biggest and best college football games all season long. And this was a really important part for me in the departure from ESPN is I had worked so hard there at the company. I got my start there in radio and that had always been my bedrock. I'd worked in digital, but I had really been harping on having my agent harp on, you know, talking to bosses about getting more and more work in the college football space. It was what I played. It's one of the sports I'm most passionate about and getting to be a part of live events has always been the most enjoyable part of this job, whether it's live radio shows, whether it's, you know, live television for something like that. And so when I was getting ready to leave ESPN and this became a possibility, this made it even more enticing because now I could hold on to this part that I had fought so hard to carve out my own space in and try and become a part of getting the chance to cover a game that guys are playing and coaching that I know intimately what they've been through, what they're going through and some of the experiences they're having has been really cool. And it's something I take pretty seriously. And so that being said, like it's a great chance to still be around the sport, to be around the players and coaches, to get out to some of these great environments, but also with this booth format to have a really fun, loose time. Radio is kind of a different animal than calling on TV as I'm sure you and so many people listening already know, but they've really given us free reign to make this fit our personalities and to have fun with this. And seeing the example that dad and Kate set last year, I think for me and Sloan is kind of an awesome table setting for what this can be. If you just have fun with it and be yourself. So couldn't be more pumped. It's going to be a great time. You know, um, the varsity app that Learfield's got their stuff up on too. We're going to have plenty of stuff on that. The Learfield YouTube page, we'll have a camera streaming our booth in the game. 
watching us, you know, navigate all these different situations, which is probably going to be me trying not to like drip grease or melted ice cream onto anything important or electronic. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a really fun season and I can't wait to get started. That's, that's really, really cool. And I'm really excited to, to listen to you in the booth again this year. And the one thing that I'm really interested in um, is I think a lot of people probably don't understand the amount of time, effort, and work that goes into prep before a game. I think they have the, the mindset of, I sit on the game and I talk to my buddies about what's going on. I could probably do that. So what can you share about the kind of preparation and work that you do leading up to being in the booth? Yeah, it's I mean, it's the most work I do for anything that's a part of the sports media job because it has to be because and and it's supposed to come off how you just described. Right. It's supposed to be like, you know, a duck out there that looks calm above the water, but below the legs are churning. Viewers just supposed to get an enjoyable game and get to listen to two people talk like their friends who just happen to have a different, unique insight into what's going on on the field. But I've always said and this is for guys that are getting done playing and trying to figure out what they're doing next. It's the most similar to prepare, preparing for a game as a player that you do. I go through rosters. I take notes. I get to watch film. I get to talk to the coaches and players a lot of times about what that week's been like, what the storylines of the season have been going along with, and then try and build it from there. And it, it's just being ready for whatever pops up because and I've been fortunate to work with some really great people in the booth. And Nishroff and Taylor McGregor were my crew last year for college football at ESPN. And both of them have such a great understanding of the job we're all there to do and how all the parts there work together. And so you go into a game prepared to, you know, first and foremost, make sure both of these fan bases understand you care about their programs enough to have learned the background because we're coming in as a national broadcast. They're living it each and every day leading up to the game. They're digesting it the way I digest Notre Dame football. And so, number one, I've got to do enough work to learn all the background, make sure I'm up to date on what the big storylines in the season, which of these young guys are cracking through that the fan bases have been excited about, and what is there to look forward to on the horizon. I've got to have all that stuff baked in so I can just speak the language to these fan bases that already know it so well. Then I've got to be able to teach what's going on on the field. And so that's learning. What do each of these teams like to do differently? What is something that I can show people and teach people, especially for me as a former offensive lineman? It's an area of football that is the least understood by the outside world because it's hard to see camera wise. It's a bunch of fat guys in the middle of the field just running into each other. It looks like chaos. And so I look at that as, all right, we see a lot of quarterbacks, wideouts, people in the booth from, from positions further away from the ball. As someone inside there, I want to go in every game saying, what can I teach people about offensive and defensive line play that they can then walk away with and have to use when they are talking to their buddies, just sitting on the couch. And then the last part for me is always the most important is I got to be able to tell the stories of these players as best I can. What's been going on in their lives? Is there someone with a compelling off the field story that's, you know, overcome something to be here that now in the NIL era is doing something great with their platform, has a cool opportunity with that. You've got to be able to then take people even a little bit deeper. Maybe there is something, a story that people have missed on the outside world. I, I remember Eric Wood, who was, you know, all American at Louisville was a center for the Buffalo bills for 10 years said his goal was always to teach a fan base, something that even they didn't know. He wanted to work hard to find that one little kernel that would even surprise the most diehard fans. And so I, I think on all those areas, you've got to be prepared for that. And then it's a living, breathing thing. So you can prepare for it. And then you're going to use 
if you're lucky, 25% of what you've prepared for because the rest is dictated by the game. Like I only sound as good in the booth as however the game's been. If we have a close game that's going down to the wire in the fourth quarter, I'm probably going to sound great because that means the teams on the field are kicking ass or making this interesting and are giving us a compelling thing to talk about. And that's why you can have a plan for everything. And then if the game's going well, like any good radio show or anything else, if you're walking out of there with stuff in your pocket that you didn't use, that probably means you had a great show and that you've actually been lucky. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that insight of trying to tell the fan base something that they don't know is such a great thing to strive for because it's almost like that's what sticks in people's brain throughout the broadcast where they want to get just enough information from the broadcast without like actively having to hear it at all points. So it's, that's a really, really interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, you're, and you're talking to so many varying groups of people, football knowledge wise, right? I think a lot of us at times get caught up. I know I've done this where you try and do a broadcast for your peers where you're really deep diving into some X's and O stuff that's going to blow people away and really impress people. And then you have to remember that there's still a lot of that that's a foreign language to a certain section, maybe even a big section of the audience watching. And so you don't want to be patronized you don't want to ever talk down to people, but my goal is to always just make it the most bite sized as possible. We all consume things best in little bites. And so if I could take some of the stuff that's going on there and give it in a way that's a little bit more accessible, a little bit easier to digest, like that's, I, I think my job is to sort of like take a whole bunch of energy and then funnel into something that's kind of useful for the situation. You know, and I think especially your perspective being an offensive lineman and being able to just add a couple of insights here and there for people, even if they're broad strokes, then you know those are the people who are going to go back and repeat that to whoever, they, whoever they've heard, wherever they've heard it from, and then they feel like the expert, right? Well, I mean, that, that's really like, I always try and like figure out like what is actually our job as people that work in sports media. And, you know, it, it's all an exercise in oversimplification. But at some point, we're here to give people stuff to steal. Like, <laughs> I am here to pass off. Like, so you can go and pass off something that I've said to the people that you're sitting around with at work, because that's what I do. Like when I sit around and listen to experts in other sports, I'm doing that. So I can take it back and inform what I'm talking about. So that's all we're basically doing is shoplifting. Like we're helping people steal stuff from ESPN, from DraftKings, from wherever they get it and trying to make that theft a little bit easier. And I think, I think when you look at that theft, I think the most interesting part of that is when you have that theft, but then adding your own personal spin on it, which I think is the most very important thing to let your personality shine, which I feel like you're a person. And again, when I've seen you in the booth, um, you know, your personality does come out. And I saw a little nugget as I was kind of diving into some clips of you. Um, hopefully you know where this is going, dunking an Oreo in some mayo. Was that part of the Duke's mayo bowl? Yeah. Yeah. That was the, the, the crown jewel of the end of last year's football season. And even that, like the being yourself, which is my dad's first bit of advice, the full sentence was be yourself. You're not smart enough to be anybody else because there are people that probably, you know, play a character and you got to be really smart to do that, to go along with the bit. The easiest way. And the thing I always thought about is, all right, they're going to have the choice eventually to fire me or keep me. The last thing I would want to do is get let go or get fired by trying to be somebody else, by trying to be up there in the booth and be my dad, as similar as we are, be Dan Orlovsky, be Lewis Riddick, be Joe Klatt, any of these guys that we've all watched on college football Saturdays, I'm never going to be them. I didn't have the same careers that they all did. I haven't had the same experience as a player that they did. And so at some point it is, yeah, being yourself, but it takes a lot of reps to get there because you got to figure out how to do all the important stuff first, right? Like I got to build the framework for this thing and know how to operate and take care of all that. 
before I can start coloring inside the lines as best we can. And that Dukes game was a prime example of that. Like I mentioned, I mentioned Anish Shroff and Taylor McGregor, but that only happened because we had all gotten so comfortable with each other as teammates. We all had very like-minded sensibilities. We all thought that covering college football should be fun. That bull season is this goofy thing with all these different sponsors that present these ridiculous possibilities. And because I had great teammates who had a great idea about this. This came from a niche. This was kind of his brainchild during the week. And we all knew each other well enough to say, all right, we believe we can do a good job taking care of this broadcast first and foremost to do right by South Carolina and North Carolina, who played a hell of a football game that day and still have fun with this in the process. And so that was, we wouldn't have been able to do that week one or week two. We wouldn't have been able to pull it off that way. And so it was fun that it came together like that. And then, you know, I, I pissed off Dion Warwick, the R&B legend. I pissed off the entire country of Australia who penned an article during the game that I was a sign of the decline of American civilization. <laughs> it was... Those are badges of honor, honestly. It was, it was incredible to see what it became because the folks at Dukes decided they were going to be a bowl game that dumped a cooler full of mayonnaise on the winning coach. And I give Shane Beamer from South Carolina... A ton of credit. Again, it doesn't go that well if we don't have Shane Beamer and Mac Brown who are yeah. willing to sell the absolute hell out of that as a concept for this game. And so all of it took so many people and became this thing where I will leave ESPN now known for a very heartfelt goodbye to my dad on his last day on ESPN radio and for the Duke's freaking Mayo Bowl and <laughs> Doug Oreo and Mayo, which is, man talk about containing multitudes. I was about to say, you have the, you know, the emotional heartstrings and then you have, I feel like a, a huge bit of your personality, which I feel like it, you know, I don't know you very well, but I feel like that pretty much encapsulates you. Yeah, more or less. I mean, tug at the emotional heartstrings and then test the gag reflex on the other side. It's, it's, <laughs> it's balance, right? It's like the Thanos thing, perfectly balanced as all things should be. Um, also, yeah. Shout out, shout out the MCU. Um, but kind of, I, I also want to give you a chance. I know you've recently launched a, a new podcast with uh, a former Notre Dame player and found out one of your, your closest friends, Brandon Newman. Um, want to tell me a little bit about that podcast and what goes into kind of the preparation and delivery of that, doing a podcast with your best friend? Yeah, so it was interesting when I first was getting ready to head over to DraftKings, which alone was the big decision to make. I'd been at ESPN for six and a half going on seven years. And this opportunity came along and, you know, DraftKings showed that they were very serious about making good stuff. They were willing to give us kind of a, a free reign of how we wanted to build this. And I was at the Super Bowl. It was after I had finished up at ESPN. It was Monday of Super Bowl week. So I flew out to go hang with my dad and see a lot of my other friends in the industry that were going to be out there that week. And Brandon was one of the first people I've got lunch with him because we always catch up at these big things. He was working at NBC sports for Michael Smith at the time. Mm -hmm. And when I told him about it, I was like, I'm going to throw your name out there. Like I I've seen the way that you've operated these other stops. And I wanted someone walking into a new situation for me. I hadn't built a podcast, certainly hadn't built something from scratch like this. Mm -hmm. And so I knew he had been a part of building a successful podcast with Joy Taylor and maybe I'm crazy over at Fox Sports One when he was there. And I was like, I so know someone who's capable and someone who I trust because there is very few, there are very few people. And I would always say this to the folks that I worked with, even my closest friends in radio, it's going to be hard for me to ever have the level of trust with those people, the people I work at in these jobs that I had with the guys that I played with in college, because you just go through so many things together. And every day 
you're out there having to show the other guys around you and vice versa. I can trust you and you can trust me when it's on the line because football is the most accountable game on earth because there's physical consequences to your mistakes. If I miss a block, the guy behind me that's my friend gets cracked in the head and it could potentially affect his career, his job, you know, his enjoyment of the next week. It can infect all of us. So it's a different level of accountability. So walking into this with Brandon in tow and knowing him as a partner and a collaborator on this was not only capable, but someone that I had known since I was 17 years old and had that kind of trust made it a lot easier to do this. And, and so going into it, you know, for us, it was figuring out, all right, how do we want to structure and cover things here? What's the best way for us to prep for this? We're doing this remote from different locations. So how are we going to bridge that gap? And all of it has come back to it's made easier by having the relationship at the center of it where we already trust and kind of have talked about a lot of this stuff just in life, the way most friends who are sports fans do. But also just, I think the more and more I started looking into, all right, what made the podcast that I liked enjoyable and what made, I think a successful podcast, it was always the relationship. I wanted to feel like I was eavesdropping in on a conversation between two close friends. And so that's, that's at the core what this is and how we approach everything is this is just us talking and we want to invite people in to listen to that conversation that are kind enough to listen to the show. We want to bring in other people that we've gotten to know through, you know, our time and in the last, you know, almost decade of doing this, the other people that we've met who are our friends who just happen to be people that are still playing sports experts in covering their field. And that's always been the thought process of it. And it's been learning every day, how we go out there and best execute it. But when you're used to communicating and problem solving and doing the things we did as players, I think it translates really well into this and is really helpful in making sure we're always kind of refining this process, especially in the early going. And it's been exciting seeing a lot of the guests that you've gotten on, because as you mentioned, I think one of the most interesting parts that I've seen as part of that podcast is, you know, you're clearly, you know, you guys are both football guys, but when it comes to some other sports, you're obviously general sports fans, but bringing in some of those experts and letting them lead the way with their fields, I think has been such a, such a smart approach. Yeah. And and I mean, listen, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel with this stuff by any means, but I think it's, you know, like you said, being yourself is always going to yield a different results. And we're always going to think about this. That's one of the fun parts about working with Brandon is him and I brain wise could not be further apart. We just, we see the world very different. We grew up very differently. We came to Notre Dame and had that relationship with the school very differently. And so hearing some of the things that come out of his mouth and I'm sure vice versa for me, when it's around guests. And that's the other part, you know, like you said, we get to bring on experts. Like we get to talk to Katie Nolan, who's already a rock star, but now is covering baseball on Friday nights for Apple TV plus and has become an expert. We just talked to her about that process, about getting to focus all your time on one sport and really grow to love it that way. And the passion jumps off the page. Like I, we joking, I call her our Tim Kirkshin, the ESPN MLB analyst. Like Tim's the best example of what you just described there is you bring in an expert, not only to talk about the nuts and bolts of each sport, but because I'm drawn to passion as a listener. Like if you're fired up and you love the thing you're talking about, I'm inclined to listen because I want to know why you feel that way about it. Like I become curious, what could make this person feel as strongly as to go down a rabbit hole like Katie has of diagramming pitches so she can better understand them, better understand how they're coming out of release. That's Tim Kirchner. Every time I ever sat down with Tim at ESPN, whether it was on air or off there, I was like, this guy makes me want to be a baseball fan. 
Like I, I want to watch the game through Tim Kirkshin's eyes because this man so sincerely, I, I mean, in a world full of irony and sarcasm and all this BS, Tim Kirkshin's love for baseball is like the purest thing that exists. And I know he's going into the hall of fame this year as I think a, uh, you know, a, a major contributor or whatever the, the moniker is that man deserves to be everywhere that baseball is revered because that's how much he loves the sport. And so that's what I hope every time, you know, we bring an expert on, as you can see, Oh, this matters a lot to this person. And so now I'll lean in and hear you out a little bit more. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I think that, that so far listening to it, it's come through both on first off, I think what comes through is both of your passions for wanting to do this as best as you possibly can, because you guys have an enthusiasm, which I can only imagine on a daily podcast, approaching it with that level of intensity, that level of effort and that level of enthusiasm is can probably is taxing at some point. So how do you, how do you cope with knowing you have to do this every day and show up? Well, I, see, I've been fortunate. Like I had the train, I was like almost in the batter circle with the weight, like the weight on the bat, because I was doing a four hour daily radio show in the middle of the afternoon. Like we do a, you know, hour, maybe hour and a half podcast now where we have a little bit more freedom with that mm -hmm. stuff. And so that's all stuff that I, I learned in radio. And again, it, it, I started, you know, working weekends in radio, but the first full-time five day a week show I was on was four to 6 AM Eastern. It was the lead into Mike and Mike and, you know, it was a chance for me. I, I learned alongside a guy named Robin Lundberg who works at SI now, who is as good a content creator as I've ever been around who understand. I was really fortunate to get to do a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff with Robin. And the one thing amongst, you know, he, I learned a lot from him, but in general with mornings, and I had always heard this from dad and everyone else, you're the cup of coffee for these people. And in my case, in some cases for folks on the West coast, I was keeping them up on a long ride home from work. I had to bring the energy so that they could have energy in the process. Like people are going to match your intensity on that. And so that's just kind of always been the way I've approached it. It was kind of the same as a player. Again, I, I'm, I've never been the most talented at anything I've done, but I, I'm going to try and know the most about it I can. And I'm going to try and bring the best you know, attitude I can. And part of that comes with that energy. And, you know, especially being at the national level, whether it's at a podcast or a radio show, you have the ability to pick and choose a little bit more of, which items you want from which sports and why. And the further and further I've gone along, you've got people that'll tell you, well, we need to talk about this today. You know, when LeBron James does something, you're usually going to talk about it. When the Dallas Cowboys and Notre Dame does something, it's usually going to get talked about. And you know that as a part of it. But as general sports fans, it's always like, well, again, you want to lead with passion. So what are the people on the show interested in? You know, what am I most interested in? What have I reacted to as the day has gone along? And so it ends up being usually the stuff that you've hand selected because you already feel some type of way about it. So I think that's part of it that helps, but it just also, you know, it got used to doing that five days a week for three to four hours at a time on radio. So getting to do it in this setting now, uh, again, when the lift is lighter, I'm like, all right, I'm only hitting these topics once. We're not resetting every hour and doing them all over again. So I get one good shot at all these things. And there's kind of a different energy about that that makes it a ton of fun. That's that's super insightful. And again, I'm going to just a, a couple more questions here before we wrap up, because you've been just extremely generous with with your time and your story so far. And so just just kind of quickly, I think obviously NIL is quite the topic in recruiting and college football these days. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably thought about this, but if you were a, you know, a five-star 18-year-old, and for the sake of this discussion, we're going to switch you to a quarterback. Um, so you're a five-star 18-year-old quarterback, gunslinger from Texas. What would your NIL deal that you'd be signing? 
who, I mean, man, I'd be signing with one of these collectives and telling them to pay me like $18 million too. I'd be out here on this Arch Manning tip. I don't know what, you know, I don't know any dollar figures about what he's got at Texas. We like weirdly enough as a sports media, there wasn't a lot of that conversation, which indicates that most people want to stay on the good side of the Mannings. At least is how I read that. But uh, now I'd be signing my rights away to one of these collectives and saying, have at it. Now, if I have my choice, I always said, if I was in South Bend, the number one place I would want to sponsor me outside of maybe like, I'd put it like this. I would want Martin's supermarket to sponsor me because I ate at that side door deli almost every day when I was in college. And I would use my earnings from that to resurrect club fever, Michiana's hottest night club and bring that one back. I would be the owner of fever and I would bring it back better than ever and revive that for the South Bend community. So that would be what my goal would be. If I was a hotshot recruit who was going to be getting millions of dollars as an 18 year old, I would use it to buy Michiana's hottest nightclub and resurrect it. Yeah. RIP. I did the, I was part of the ACE program. So I spent uh, three summers at Notre Dame and that was right after club fee shut down. So I, mm. unfortunately RIP in peace, but the way that some of my friends who at Notre Dame talked about it, you know, really did seem like unironically and ironically the hottest nightclub ever. Um, you know, maybe, maybe in, in light of that closing, you could get a, uh, you know, a sponsorship of free Long Island's at the backer for one Pollock or something like that, but we'll see. Yeah, I, 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 I won't incriminate myself, but well, the NCAA already took my twelve wins there. Unfortunately, <laughs> I got, I got a lot of free Long Island iced teas and Red Bull vodka pitchers. And looking back, I don't know if I should have taken all those. Like it, the thought of drinking one of those now, or like an original recipe for loco from back in the day, Ooh. we were. Our insides were fortified. We were forged in the fire back then the with fall the original 20, recipes. The fall of 2010 was a wild time. It, I tell you what, and you mentioned like the ACE program. We were always out there for summer schools. So imagine being out there working out and really taking like one or two classes and then getting to hang out with all your closest friends on the teams. TC pool was bumping during the daytime. Like, again, it was... Uh, it was a good time for all that stuff. But, uh, you know, again, all that is to say most of what I would do with NIL money is just buy up places in South Bend that matter to me and ensure that they are enshrined and preserved for future generations to enjoy. So we don't have people like yourself who miss out on Michiana's hottest nightclub. It's it's truly beautiful. And my friends and I have a, have a, I don't know if it's a saying or something that we just take to our heart, but, you know, we love the city rich feeling of going out in South Bend because no matter when you close your tab, it's somehow always $12. It's like, I just drank like 11 beers and it was $12 and I have no idea how. It is the greatest gift in going back there. And you appreciate it some as a student, but man, going back as an adult and you just ring it up there. Once you, you know, you've been out and you've kind of seen a little bit more of the world, there's nothing like it. That feeling of coming back home to South Bend is great for a lot of reasons, but that is probably in the top three. Awesome. So um, Mike, just going to close it out here. Um, I appreciate your time. Anything that you want to leave the audience with about yourself, about your podcast, about anything that you want to leave here with your closing thoughts? Um, uh, you know, obviously make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate all that as we try and go out here and do Five our stars. battle with the algorithm. Yeah, strictly five stars. Um, I believe it's Bamani Jones that often says, if you give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And no one wants to be a hater. There's there's too much life to live to be out here getting called a hater. But no, I uh, I appreciate you having me, uh, uh, getting a chance to talk about this. I mean, we're all in, in all of us in sports media enjoy talking about ourselves when given the opportunity. It's, it's usually a pretty easy thing. But uh, I, I don't know. There's just something different about uh, college football to me. And, and it is not without its share of problems. College football is an area that like most things has a lot of really ugly warts and things that need help. But 
I, I think we fix them by talking about them honestly. I think we fix them with people that are passionate about it. And I think we're fortunate in this sport to have a lot of people that have come up wanting to help the sport be the best that it can and trying to get rid of some of those things that haven't always been the greatest about it. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, a part of the reason why I always care the most about covering this is because it's something I live through. It is a sport that I, I lived through their experience. And I want to make sure that in a day and age where we talk so much about treating athletes more as people that I do the best I can to, to give a window to the people that are playing the sport so that people can get to know them a little bit. So you feel like, you know, someone on the inside and maybe when people think about, you know, saying something ugly or saying something critical or tweeting a nasty thing at a 20 year old kid who made a mistake in a game, who's trying to balance whatever's going on in his home life with the classes that are in, you know, maybe a little bit too much for him at the time. Maybe people will press pause for just a second. Maybe, you know, if one or two people don't do that, then, then maybe I've done my job. That is well said um, and a great way to close out the show. And again, people don't tweet at recruits finally. So again, Mike, I appreciate this time. This is wonderful. Um, look forward to seeing you in boot this uh, boot this fall and look forward to listening to the next episode of your podcast. Appreciate you having me, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, you too.